Listener supported. WNYC Studios. From WNYC Studios, I'm Brian Lehrer. This is my Daily Politics Podcast. It's Monday, July 31st. Look at all that has happened in national politics. President Biden's border policy got thrown out in court as too restrictive to migrants seeking political asylum. Hunter Biden's plea deal got thrown out in court because the government said it's still investigating him. Rudy Giuliani admitted in court in a filing that, yes, he defamed those two Georgia election workers, Shea Moss and Ruby Freeman, when he falsely claimed they were rigging the 2020 election when they were just normally doing their job. He hasn't admitted to the racism involved, though, when he said the black mother and daughter were passing around thumb drives like heroin or cocaine. Donald Trump was hit with a serious new charge, and another Mar-a-Lago employee was charged, too, in the classified documents case. This is about Trump allegedly telling Mar-a-Lago property manager Carlos de Oliveira to delete certain surveillance video last year, and D. Oliveris allegedly telling another worker who oversees the surveillance uh, cameras that, quote, the boss wanted it deleted. But hey, what's a little destruction of evidence between friends? What's the big deal, right? It's certainly not a big deal to Republican voters. The first New York Times-Siena poll of the 2024 election cycle published this morning finds Trump crushing his field of challengers so far, 54% support, followed by Ron DeSantis way back at 17%. And then, listen to this, Mike Pence, Tim Scott, and Nikki Haley, all tied for third place at just 3% support each. And President Biden got a new potential Democratic primary challenger, not seen as a fringy outsider like RFK Jr. or Marianne Williamson. It's an actual member of Congress, Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips, seen as a suburban moderate and who's been outspoken about Biden's age. Certainly not a household name, Dean Phillips, but he's reportedly meeting with Democratic donors in New York this week to test the viability of a primary challenge of Biden. And there's more, but that's plenty to get us going now. Jonathan Lemire is with us, Politico's White House Bureau Chief and host of Way Too Early on MSNBC, weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. And he was hosting Morning Joe on the network today, the four-hour 6 to 10 a.m. show with Joe Scarborough off for the day, which um, since Jonathan is now extending his day to come right on with us, I think qualifies Jonathan for the next Boston and New York marathons. Hey, Jonathan, thanks a lot for this. Weren't you some kind of record-setting runner in high school in Boston? Hey, Brian, great to talk to you. I, I did have some success uh, as a uh, high school track star. I set a league. I grew up just north of Boston. Uh, set a league record in a sprinting event that stood for many years. It has since been has since been broken. Um, but yes, today is a test of endurance. But I'm I'm always happy to be with you. That's right. From the sprint to the marathon. And I'm going to ask you to do a lot of explaining this morning because I think some of these developments that I just did some headlines on are both important and confusing. So first, can you explain the new classified documents charge against Donald Trump? Sure thing. So as all of political world last week had its eyes trained on Washington, D.C., with the apparent imminent uh, indictment of the former president in connection to January 6th and his efforts to overturn the 2020 election result, 
Well, the special counsel got us in a different way. That he is sort of swerved, if you will, and added charges to the classified documents case. Now we should note we still think the January 6th indictments are coming soon, potentially as soon as this week. Um, but the, this action shifted back to South Florida on two levels. One, there was a new person charged, the one of the the workers there at Mar-a-Lago, Carlos de Oliveira, who was, along with Walt Nada, the indictment reads, uh, put towards uh, toward destroying videotape surveillance footage, basically trying to obstruct the federal government's efforts to retrieve uh, this classified material and, the indictment reads, doing so at Donald Trump's behest. Uh, and that's what leads to more charges here for Trump as well. It is a superseding indictment, which are relatively common uh, in ongoing sprawling investigations like this. But it adds just plain as day what most legal analysts say took a strong case and made it even stronger. And Mr. De Oliveira is ex- is now just as a few moments ago has arrived at a South Florida courtroom. So is the charge here obstruction of justice? Uh, it certainly could be. It's still the mishandling. It's, it's the charges here, it's obviously for Trump, the mishandling of classified documents here. Uh, it's four counts, including uh, lying to the FBI for Mr. De Oliveira, uh, as well as obstructing you know, government procedure to try to return, retrieve the documents. Uh, and then, yes, potentially obstruction of justice as well. Um, now, it's unclear, and this may have just happened in the last few moments while I was leaving air, leading MSNBC airs, MSNBC's airs to come along with you, uh, there was question as to whether he had a, an attorney uh, who was licensed to practice in the state of Florida. You might recall that a few weeks ago when Walt Nada, uh, Trump's original co-defendant, came to court, he did not have one. So therefore, uh, that the, the initial uh, arraignment was delayed several weeks before not a retained counsel who was licensed to practice in Florida. Uh, I truthfully do not know yet if uh, this defendant has done so. As of last night, he had not. Does the indictment say what evidence Trump and de Oliveira might have allegedly been trying to destroy to cover up what specifically? Because I'm sure everybody's curious about this. What? They were allegedly destroying Mar-a-Lago surveillance video. What was on that video that the boss, quote unquote, as the indictment uh, says, de Oliveira called Trump, that the boss wanted deleted? Yeah, it was surveillance footage, a video of the room where much, not all, but much of the classified documents, classified material was kept. Now, it does not appear that the video itself was actually destroyed. It was, but it was the intent to do so. The conspiracy to do so um, is the charge here, uh, and that it does seem to be pretty, pretty blatant uh, and clumsy conspiracy at that. One where, as you say, almost reads like a mafia trial, where Trump is referred to as the boss, and in text messages exchange between these men they even use a shh emoji the, the hand to the face like we're trying to tell someone to hush to be quiet in an effort to keep all of this secret uh so you know perhaps the former president needs better henchmen in terms of trying to carry out uh would-be crimes uh but this is now it, it builds to this case which is set for uh, May as a start date, although there's some question whether that could slip again because of the nature of cases involving classified documents. They're inherently very complicated. Uh, they are inherently lengthy. But this is just, as we should not lose sight of this, just one of uh, many uh, moments of legal peril facing the former president as he tries to run for the White House again. 
So I wonder if this property manager, De Oliveira, if this all gets confirmed, will wind up going down as sort of the Rosemary Woods of the Trump classified documents case. You know, Rosemary Woods from Watergate, who I think was the Richard Nixon aide uh, who was charged with destroying the audio recording, 18 minutes, uh, the famous Watergate 18-minute um, telephone recording gap. And uh, and that was laid at the feet of his, his aide, his secretary, I think was her title, Rosemary Woods. So maybe D'Alvera goes down as the Rosemary Woods of the classified documents case eventually. It certainly could be. And now they're open questions or not whether he or Walt Nada might turn cooperating witness. Would they flip to work uh, testify against Donald Trump. Now, at this point, Nada has shown no inclination of doing so. In fact, he is still, he's Trump's body man. He is still appearing at Trump day-to-day at his events, including at a couple campaign stops over the weekend. We, we don't know yet what will be the fate of De Oliveira, whether he will stay uh, loyal to the former president or not. There are questions also about the same funds, the same, the same super PACs um, that, the, that support Donald Trump, that they're paying legal bills uh, for Trump associates who have been ensnared in all these investigations, you know, you know with paying for Nada and De La Vera's counsel as well, perhaps. Um, we also do know, though, there's a, another Mar-a-Lago worker, not identified, but we believe he was an IT worker, who is also in this indictment. And it seems like he is a cooperating, in fact, the source of some of this information. So we know certainly that Jack Smith has been building this case for quite some time, talking to people at Mar-a-Lago, and certainly were either Nada or Oliveira to flip, they would undoubtedly be able to provide compelling testimony. Yeah. And that other potential witness you just mentioned, is this the same as the story I saw on CNN? I think it's a CNN exclusive as of this, as of this point that there's another Mar-a-Lago employee, <clears throat> excuse me, who got a target letter, meaning he could be charged, but he hasn't been. Yusil Tavares is the name they're citing, who oversees the surveillance cameras. Do you know if Tavares refused the request to destroy the surveillance video or maybe is cooperating with law enforcement, which could be really key? That does seem to be the sense of it. Either refused to or was unable to do so in terms of deleting all of this mm. material. Uh, and it seems as if he that this he is indeed uh, now working with with the government as a cooperating uh, witness. And let's remember, part of the scheme was to flood that area, to flood the swimming, drain the swimming pool and flood that area uh, to destroy some of this evidence. Um, you know, so now but but this, the surveillance footage, we believe it doesn't has indeed turned over to special counsel. Wait, I don't even know that part. They were going to create an actual flood to destroy evidence with water? That was one of the schemes being considered, yes, that came out in some reporting some time ago. I see. But as far as we know, it wasn't actually carried out? Correct. And that's all under special counsel Jack Smith. But so is, as you referred to at the top, this, and my guest is Jonathan Lemire, White House uh, Bureau Chief for Politico and MSNBC host. We keep hearing a grand jury being overseen by Jack Smith could produce January 6th and general big lie indictments against Trump at any time now, including, I think, possibly today. Aren't Mondays and Thursdays? Do I have that right? The days that that grand jury meets. So confirm that if it's true. And can you explain the in, uh, indications that they are very, very close? There are so many grand juries, it's easy to mix them up. But this one actually meets on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Excuse so, me. So we don't anticipate anything happening today. But okay. there is possibility 
uh, of tomorrow. Um, this grand jury uh, last week, you know, so let's remember this back up a step. Donald Trump announced uh, that he had received a target letter uh, from Jack Smith about this particular case, the election efforts to overturn the election and January 6th. Uh, you know, sort of shorthanded as the January 6th probe, although it's it's far bigger than that. It's everything that led up to that day. Um, and that was about two odd weeks ago when that happened. It's, and we were confirmed through reporting that indeed Trump did receive that letter. Uh, so once that happens, the clock starts ticking. It is very, very rare for someone to receive a target letter and not be indicted. It would be almost impossible to conceive of a notion where a former president of the United States and all of that means and how charged the situation is would receive a target letter and then not be uh, in, indicted. So it's a matter of sort of when that might happen. And that is not the case. That is not the is not happening now. Uh, it has not happened yet. But we do believe that it will be soon. Last week, the grand jury did not meet on Tuesday. Um, and there was some speculation that's because the Hunter Biden matter was on Wednesday and DOJ didn't want to be uh, accused of, of, of trying to put a thumb on the scale and overshadow one with the other. They did meet on Thursday last week, uh, but no charge came from it then. They're expected to meet again tomorrow. Uh, there's no guarantee it could be tomorrow. It could slide to Thursday. It could even slide to next week. But it's hard to see it sliding much beyond that. And here, here's a text that just came in, Jonathan, on the Democratic side. Why doesn't Gavin Newsom run for president? Listener asks. Governor of California, who we know has flirted with the idea, if not for this cycle. Well, Governor Newsom certainly has his eyes on the White House. He makes no secret of that. But I... I don't think we're going to see a mainstream Democrat really challenge President Biden. Now, yeah, we did mention just last segment there is this Midwestern congressman who's considering it, um, but that would be a, a more of a trying to make a point uh, than someone who is has a real feels they are a real shot uh, at the White House. Now, if something, you know, if President Biden were to change his mind uh, and not run, then yes, there'll be a number of Democrats who would easily would eagerly jump in the race, and we know. And we reported earlier this year that Newsom, Governor Murphy of New Jersey, uh, Senator Klobuchar of Minnesota, others, you know, all kind of were just looking around, just you know, were lining up some staff and ducks just in case, just in case President Biden didn't opt for re-election. But he has. So none of them will. Um, but Newsom will certainly be at the top of the front of any list uh, of a 2028 challenger. There's no doubt there. Next topic. Can you explain how the Hunter Biden plea deal collapsed last week? Yes. And, and you know, the Hunter Biden, we should note, uh, because sometimes people get angry when we talk about Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden is, of course, a private citizen. This is a very different matter than what Donald Trump is facing. But Hunter Biden still took a plea deal earlier this, earlier this summer uh, in which he plead, pled guilty to two tax-related charges as well as one about gun possession, uh, because he shouldn't have had a firearm while under the influence of drugs. And he has written himself openly uh, that he has struggled with addiction. Uh, that deal was struck. Obviously, it's been Hunter Biden is a political shadow uh, for this White House. The House GOP is obsessed with him, uh, claiming inappropriate business dealings, the quote, Biden crime family, all that. They've supplied little to no evidence of any wrongdoing. You could say uh, perhaps Hunter Biden's business conduct was unseemly, but there's no suggestion that it was illegal or that President Biden benefited from it. So let's just underscore that. But Hunter Biden himself did take a plea deal after a years-long investigation about these tax charges. A lot of Republicans 
cried foul. They thought he got a sweetheart deal. Most legal analysts, however, say that, no, this seems very reasonable, with one perhaps exception. And that's the idea. The plea deal contained language that would grant him some immunity for lots of other future charges were they to come up, including some of other financial crimes. And when this plea deal was taken before a judge in Delaware last week, the judge said no. The judge basically, and I'm paraphrasing, but suggested that that part of the plea deal was too broad, it wasn't appropriate, and she didn't have the right to sign off on it. So it was a chaotic scene in that Wilmington, Delaware courtroom. The two sides, it looked like the plea deal was falling apart. The two sides negotiated a revised, more narrow version, presented it to the judge. They said they'd be acceptable. The judge still said, wait, I'm not ready to sign off on this yet. We need to really do our due diligence, decide if this is appropriate and legal. And it said, we'll see you basically, we'll see you again in a few weeks. So that's where things stand. Uh, Hunter Biden, because the he had to enter a pro forma not guilty plea. He can certainly change that down the road to guilty were this plea deal to be resuscitated and made official. Um, but right now, we're in a holding pattern. And it, it's certainly something that weighs on Hunter Biden. It weighs on the president and his family. It certainly is going to remain a political issue. Uh, and, and the legal chapter is not closed just yet. One more call. Hinda in New Rochelle. You're on WNYC. Hello, Hinda. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you. Are you can on speakerphone? Yes, oh. I can hear you. Um, no, I'm on Bluetooth, actually. Okay. Um, boy, I've never done this before. Um, my questions are, there's not a lot of love out there for Kamala Harris. Um, do you see, or your guests see, any scenario in which President Biden would choose another running mate that would be more attractive to the electorate? Um, well, and I, as far as vice president, wait, and, and go, let me just continue as to vice presidents, do we have any indication um, as to who Trump would choose as a running mate? It clearly won't be Mike Pence, but any ideas? Hinda, thank you very much. But on, on the premise of that call, before we just accept it, um, that there's not a lot of love for Kamala Harris, isn't she a major Democratic Party draw for fundraising events? Her, her, actually, my colleagues at Politico did a piece on this recently. It's a little, her record's a little more mixed on that. But yes, uh, she has done well raising money. I mean, look, she had some political struggles early in her term as vice president. She herself will acknowledge that. Uh, but the West Wing has really thinks that she has found her voice on a couple of issues, particularly on abortion. She has become the administration's leading voice on that issue, particularly because President Biden by his own admission, isn't always the most comfortable talking about it. So she has become really stepped to the forefront there. To answer the caller's question, no, she's not going anywhere. Um, you know, are, is there some doubts in high-level Democratic circles about whether she'd be if up for the job if President Biden suddenly decided he wasn't going to run for re-election, if she should be the party standard bearer in 2024? I think she'd be the leading contender. But she'd face a primary. I think there would be other Democrats who were not willing to challenge President Biden, but who would be willing to challenge Vice President Harris. That said, there's no indication whatsoever uh, that President Biden is looking to move on from his vice president. Uh, they have a pretty good working relationship. Also, let's be clear here, the backbone of the Democratic Party, black voters and particularly black female voters, like you're not going to alienate them by changing vice presidents. That's just simply not going to happen. She is going to be a Biden-Harris ticket. As for Trump, uh, remains to be seen, a safe bet. The caller's a good joke there that won't be Mike Pence. And a timely question, because literally um, 
10 minutes ago on Truth Social, which I checked so you don't have to, hmm. uh, Donald Trump made a reference to the first Republican debate, which is just in a few weeks in Milwaukee. He is planning to skip, but he says this, quote, let them debate so I can see who I might consider for vice president. Now, obviously, that's a swipe at the field, a dig at the rest of them, thinking that he, none of them can beat him. Um, but it is possible that someone from that field could emerge as his VP. Nikki Haley's been rumored, Tim Scott another. Carrie Lake is openly auditioning for it, it would seem. But it's entirely too early to know. Jonathan, thanks. We always appreciate when you get up way too early and then stay up way too late with us. Thank you. My pleasure. Hope to do it again soon. Brian Lehrer, A Daily Politics Podcast, is an excerpt from my live daily radio show, The Brian Lehrer Show, on WNYC Radio, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern Time, if you want to listen live at WNYC.org. Thanks for listening today. Talk to you next time.